White Sox fans, welcome into the Sox on Tap Sunday Fun Day. We are hashtag back from the All Star break. It's Jainani alongside NWI Steve. Shocked Steve over there. How you doing this fine Sunday evening, my friend? Jonathan, let me talk to you. I cannot believe what I saw. Do you believe in miracles? Because never in my wildest dreams did I think that the Sox would go down to the ATL Hotlanta and take a series. From the MLB best barbs. What a world. What team did we watch? That wasn't the White Sox. I know that for sure. I don't know what team we watched down there, but it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable, especially after the ass kicking that they took on Friday night. You're, uh, I uh, was thinking, same old song and dance. Here we go. We've seen this movie a thousand times. But then they showed us something new on Saturday, Sunday. The resilient kind of back and forth game Saturday. And then an absolute ass kicking today. Um, that was shocking (laughs) yeah i think i'm jokingly kind of going into the series was was kind of twittering and saying you know will the Sox hold the barbs to under 40 runs in in the three games over the weekend here that friday night they go out there they lay they lay that fucking egg get beat nine to nothing you're just like this weekend is just gonna be as ugly as you anticipate and um and then Saturday, you know, just a seesaw game back and forth. And then today, like you said, man, they just went out there and they just put one on them. And uh, I think collectively as a fan base, everybody's just kind of in shock right now that this is what we saw. And it's frustrating in a sense because we've been kind of waiting for this team to have a series like this against a quality opponent. You know, we saw them beat up a couple of times against teams like Kansas City and, and Detroit, Detroit, lesser yeah. teams like that. But to do this against a team with the best record in the league that has just been, you know, tw- like on a 28 and five stretch, you know, over the course of the last six weeks here, uh, I mean, it's just wild to see. And honestly, it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, incredibly enjoyable. And we'll, we'll kind of get into some of the nitty gritty there. But a little housekeeping first. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on Tap Sportsnet on YouTube. Give us a follow on Twitter on at on Tap Sportsnet and at Socks on Tap. Follow along there. Uh, check us out on Facebook too. You drop your comments in there. Uh, join the show and we'll feature them right below, right here. All right, Steve, a couple historic things happened this weekend. We talked about how shocked, you know, just uh, in terms of the brand of baseball uh, that had been played before the break mostly and then uh, coming out against the best team in the league, like you said. But first wins in Hotlanta. How about that? That is crazy to think about now. Obviously, that's going back only to 2002. And, you know, they hadn't had a series down in the ATL since uh, 2019. For whatever the reason, it just seems like whenever these teams lock up in interlink, it's always at the corner of 35th and Shields. I mean, I I remember the infamous summer of 2010 uh, when the Sox were in the midst of their 35 and 15 run that they had over over a two-month stretch there. I remember the Braves came in on a, it was a Monday through Wednesday series, the opening of a 10 game homestand. And this is when Jason Hayward had just gotten called up as a rookie. They still had Chipper Jones. You know, they had, they had guys and they were, you know, a, a playoff team at that point. And the Sox just went out there and just beat their fucking brains in. And they ended up sweeping a 10 game homestand. I was like, this is fucking wild. Um, but but to think that this is only the third time that they have played the Braves in Hotlanta, you know, over the course of a 20 year period, that's crazy. And I mean, I guess if you think about it, you know, the other team that we kind of see this with all the time is the Padres. Seemingly every time they lock up with the Sox, up until this new scheduling format, it was always 
in Chicago. Last year was the first time that the Sox had played the Padres in the city known as a whale's vagina since 2005. So there's just some really weird scheduling that, that has gone on um, from an interleague perspective here over the course of the last 15, 20 years. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you get to break a streak like that, you know, I know it wasn't a whole, whole lot of games, but still it's kind of wild for a franchise that's been around so long. And you think that that's the first time that that franchise has ever won in a specific city. You would think that would happen, you know, enough throughout the years. But like you said, uh, weird scheduling uh, left it mainly in Chicago there. Um, so it, it's good in that aspect. I know uh, when it doesn't work in our favor, it's Mickey Mouse scheduling and go back to the, you know, division heavy because that's that's how that's how we operate here at Sox. Those are the rules. We didn't write them. When it benefits the Sox, it's good for the game. And when it doesn't, it's Mickey Mouse. I, I think that I can speak for everybody uh, when I say that. So um, other than that, dude, um, we've got some uh, resurgence. What happened to Noodle Boy? He, he got into one this weekend. He was on a tear. And then Tim Anderson uh, looking a little bit more like himself, not fully hashtag back. Obviously, we want to see the pop, the power. Um, but it's better than the rollovers that he was doing all the first half. You know, it's crazy to think about. They talked about on the broadcast here today that the Sox one through three hitters in the order at one point today were nine for 11. That is how you dare I say hashtag what's the saying set the tone. Sounds right. That clicked for me. What what was the last time we got to say that? I mean, yeah, it dude, feels like it's been a couple, two, three months at least. Yeah, it, it really has. And Steve, you know what it is so infuriating about that well it's good to see him do it now but a where was it all the rest of the year and b our shirts and our edits have all gone to fucking waste because we can't use them because they're not hashtag setting the tone yeah it's really hurts from a hashtag content perspective i mean there is no question about that so if they can find a way here over the course of these remaining 70 games or, or 69 hashtag nice you know however, however many games are, are remaining here um you know that would definitely be good to see sal let me talk to you yeah Noodle boy, um, <laughs> noodle boy, talk about it. I, I mean, listen, everybody knows how I feel about about Noodle Boy. Um, I'm not Andrew Benintendi. If you're not on the YouTube version, this is what we're talking about. So. Um, I, I'm not backing off of my position here. Um, he he had himself a nice weekend. I I will say that he's he's done a, some positive things since being inserted into that leadoff role here. But um, you know, he's basically he's Juan Pierre without the stolen bases right now um and that's just not enough for me so i will continue to deride him as much as i possibly can and listen if it uh inspires him and causes him to get on a heater offensively i will take all the credit but none of the blame right yeah think of it as tough love steve i I think that's a good good uh adjective describe what what you're doing uh, with andrew benintendi there noodle boy as we more affectionately refer to him yeah um steve beyond obviously you know getting hot at the plate uh, having himself a really nice series uh in the batter's box out in left field too i know his defense leaves a lot to be desired he's not not, you know i think if you go by al qualifiers i think i saw a post where he's pretty damn low on that list like near the bottom however in a situational play on Saturday night, um, looked like he kind of juked out Ozzy Albies a little bit. And I thought that was a heads-up baseball play and something that we haven't seen nearly enough of um, with this team. I feel like when I watch MLB TV, the beginning is great, too. I want to get to that later. But um, watching around the league, there's a lot of players that are real sneaky and crafty like that. And it feels like we just are never even in a position uh, to do so. Um, but 
he was on Saturday night, and that kind of kept the you know Ozzy Albies from scoring the tying run. He had to hold up around third, and then uh, Kendall Graveman able to induce a double play to end that game. So that I wanted to give Benny some credit uh, for for that little instance. Yeah, that, that definitely was a nice job of deking Ozzy Albies in that circumstance right there. Um, I know there was one resident White Sox Twitter mouth breather that was going, oh, why didn't he just catch the fucking ball? But, um, you know, if he actually watched. He would have pulled Nettie Rosario if he tried to actually catch it. I if, yeah, yeah. We saw we saw plenty of that earlier in the game there uh, from former Minnesota twin, Cleveland Indian, um, AL Central Dick face. Yeah. 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 So, um, but uh, to see, you know, Benny actually keep the ball in front of him and prevent Ozzy Albies from taking that additional 90 feet and tying the game. Pretty important there. Right. So, yeah. There's a heads up play. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I think it was Jason Benetti said on the call today that the White Sox essentially had every chance to give that game away on Saturday. And I really uh, thought that they were going to one of, one of my buddies uh, texted me and he said, I was just waiting for the dagger. Uh, the the whole time and th- that didn't happen though it didn't come through so uh, that was impressive and then I think they're feeling good after that one and then today man uh, and I know the first inning felt like it was back to your regularly scheduled White Sox bullshit with the Eloy grinding into a double play and then being removed from the game however in that second inning they picked them up they made up for it and uh, they put a four spot up and didn't look back yeah that it, it was really interesting seeing the bats the last two days here kind of starting with the plate appearances against Spencer Strider yesterday um right. doing damage against him and making him pay for some mistakes that he was making in the strike zone with two strikes um failing to put guys away on the socks and then that really had a carryover effect here today as the the team was pretty aggressive obviously in the strike zone look that's just kind of what they do in the strike zone out of the strike zone they swing a lot um that was talked about ad nauseum last night with uh, jason benetti and uh, tom verducci there obviously jason being on the national broadcast had to you know be a little bit more impartial from that perspective on it but it carried over in their favor fortunately here um this weekend and it was just good to see them con- have a continuation of sound offensive plate appearances because we haven't seen much of that here throughout the course of the 2023 season yeah, and I uh, also kind of go back to Frank's sentiment. While it was great to see, but this is, you know, uh, feels like one of the first times that we've actually, you know, uh, seen this play out on the field. Uh, I, I share Frank Thomas's sentiment from the pregame show uh, in which he said, okay, you went and had those good uh, – plate approaches against Strider being able to do some damage with two strikes. A lot of those singles, a lot of those hits came uh, with two strikes when the White Sox were chipping away against him. Why can't we apply that against a guy who's just like a normal pitcher? Like, is it really that hard? <laughs> like do they have to be on a pedestal for us to aim that high. They have a plan of preparation there. Uh, is that, that's, that's where it kind of goes back to like irking me on that. But for one weekend, at least it was good to see. Yeah, it was it was just fun to see. I mean, I always go back and I think back to the days of Sai Chen uh, back when he was on the Kansas City Royals. I mean, that was kind of the poster child for this, a guy that's just a soft tossing um, lefty that everybody else in the league would hammer. And then he would face the Sox and he would throw eight innings of two hit shutout ball. Um, And then you're just, you know, ready to throw something through your TV because it's so ungodly frustrating to watch. And that didn't happen today. I mean, they went out there with Colby Allard on on the mound, um, just were attacking him early and often. I mean, Jake Berger in that second inning, uh, hitting another nuke. um, 
I mean, as he has, is one to do, had himself a really nice weekend down there in Hotland. I kind of getting going a little bit. Um, he'd been in quite a funk here. So to see the power coming back from him over the course of these last two days, hopefully that's something that can continue on here for the remainder of this road trip as they head up to Queens and then to uh, Canada South. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Jake Berger get on a little tear here. I feel like he kind of hits him in bunches, uh, feels like. And I felt like he would always do that at home. I don't know why. You, you don't quote me on that. I'm sure he could uh, stat head it and get the splits on that. However, it felt like it was always coming, uh, just like pull shots into those bleachers at home. Good to see him get going on the road here. And he did in a number of ways. The uh, oppo shot against Strider, uh, it was a very good approach by him. Uh, taking what's given, doesn't always need to pull the ball. However, when he pulls it, it's really sexy. That one to left center, that was, I, I love how Gordon and Jason described it. It really does just sound different coming off his bat. I know we get some of that from Luis Robert Jr. as well with the extremely high exit velos, but uh, when Jake Berger puts all of it into it, um, that, I felt like that thing wasn't going to land when it first came off the bat, uh, that home run in today's game. Yeah, Jake Berger is just a guy that reminds you of a big old lumberjack up there swing, swinging an axe or, or a giant log, and when he connects with it, man, he just does damage on it. Obviously, want to see him connect a little bit more frequently here, but when he does, it is a sight to see because he does not hit cheap. I, I don't ever remember a time when he's hit a home run here throughout the course of his career that was a, a cheap one. You, you know what? It's funny that you bring that up because I was at this game, so I do remember, and I guess you could qualify this as a cheapy. and of course it was in the grandest fashion, in a walk-off fashion, in that game against the Tigers. Okay, uh, I, was at, for, okay I was at for that the one sweep, too, yeah. For, for the sweep. Um, because that barely got over that left field wall. That would be honestly the only one I can think okay, that's of a good off, point. The, off the top of my head being a cheapie. And I just thought it was ironic because that was such a, you know, a big moment, his first career grand slam and in walk-off fashion. All he really needed was shit. He could have hit a sack fly in that situation. It still would have right. won the game, but uh, it's kind of ironic that that's the way it is. But like for you, for the most part, like you mentioned, he, he does not hit cheapies uh, when he hits it ball go far and uh, talk about another guy who's hit the ball far a lot uh Luis robert jr 27th of the year coming out of the all-star break picking up where he left off um not as um deep as the burger bombs um however still went over the wall um and he's i mean if not for Shohei otani he's your al mvp he has been what we all anticipated that he would be coming out of Cuba uh, when he was signed in May of 2017. It took a little bit of time, obviously, the injuries and some of the issues um, just kind of getting to this point here. COVID, COVID season. COVID season, obviously. Mickey Mouse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then obviously, you know, tear, you know the the injuries that happened last season with the hand when, when it looked like he was really going to take off and then the hip flexor in 2021. Um, but this is the guy that – we expected he he was going to be. This is the guy that I wrote about before the season last year that I thought was going to finish top three MVP. So maybe I was just a year too early. So, you know, if it happens, if he ends up finishing top three this year, I expect everybody to be in my mentions and tell me how smart I am. I was just a year off, but right. I want all the praise. Again, all the praise, none of the blame. That's how this works. Yeah, and you you can argue that you were actually even smarter for calling it before everyone. So you're a Luis Robert hipster of sorts yeah, in that yeah. regard. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a trendsetter. You know? Yeah. And um, when you talk about, you know, it took him, you know, a little bit longer, but he's, this is what we all envision him coming out of Cuba. I, I just got to – I hate to be negative because, you know, we, we – 
rarely have positives to talk about. So I don't want to bring this down, but Luis Robert Jr. is able to perform at this level because he has enough raw physical ability in the tools um, that he did not get ruined by the god-awful White Sox player development. Uh, headed up by Chris Getz, who is hopefully soon to be Northwestern's next uh, baseball coach. Uh, I, I really yeah, so. I mean, we, we were obviously talking about this, um, you know, in, in the group DM uh, chat there. If for some reason Northwestern does decide to hire Chris Getz, I think we're all willing to pitch in for his Uber ride up to uh, the campus there in Evanston just to get him away from the White Sox organization. Right. Yeah. I would have no, no problems uh, contributing to that fund as well. Um, But, you know, just getting back to Luis Robert um, on that front, man, it's, you know, we had another event, you know, we're hashtag back from break here over the all-star break um, hitting in the home run derby and uh, impressive showing in round one. But then of course the most, White Sox thing ever happens and he's what cap tightness so he can't play in the game so it's like also I'm going to chalk it up because you know this is how it works the only reason the AL lost is because Luis Robert wasn't able to play we all know that I mean the math the math checks out I mean it's indisputable at this juncture uh just given the heater that he has been on for the last two and a half months I mean there's no doubt in my mind that he if he would have gotten one, two at bats would have hit one, you know, well into that second deck there in left field at uh, what is now T-Mobile park in Seattle. Right. Yeah. Cause you squared them all up uh, at least in the first round there. And he um, wasn't was even, cool. it looked like yeah. he wasn't even trying. Oh, yeah. It was funny. Cause you know, he saw Rutschman before and that, I will say that that was cool. You know, his dad pitching to him and the switching sides of the plate. I thought that was pretty cool as well, but you saw he had to torque everything, yeah. especially from the right side. He was really having to hammer everything. And then Luis Robert, like you said, the effortless swing, effortless power um, and, you know, one upping him what he only needed one in that bonus time uh, to beat Rushman. So um, that, that was uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, kind of rain on the parade a little bit because I, I like when uh, it's, you know, the, a uh, certain media outlet, whether that be MLB's in-house staff or ESPN, likes to hype up a story and then uh, someone shits on it. That, that's uh, That always brings me some joy. You hate to see it. You really do. It's just a shame. Mute. Oh, oh no. Oh. Yeah, no, it, it's it's just a shame when you see something like that happen, though. You yeah. know, hate to, hate to see it. Hate to yeah. see it. Um, speaking of All Star break, I just want to get your you just thoughts on this really quick before we jump back into some White Sox topics. But now, now that we're on this home run derby, um, I feel like you couldn't appreciate some of the shots just with how fast in succession that they were. That's one of my gripes. And then there's another point. Not that a game should decide home field advantage like it did before i think that might be going a little too extreme but i wish there was a way to making it a little bit more meaningful because ratings are down on it doesn't really have much buzz the game itself um, i think they should go back to wearing uniforms of their own teams i'd be in favor of that um how, how would you make the all-star game and the festivities more exciting more desirable to want to watch yeah i think for first and foremost there are um Nike needs to have their uniform sponsorship pulled immediately. Um, We need to do a a change.org petition to the White House here in order to just put an end to this national nightmare. I can't handle it anymore. Um, Between the the college softball uniforms that we're having to see all these teams wearing, and now we're just doing this with the all-star uniforms. You're right. Just let let the players wear their individual team uniforms like it had been done for you know, 90 years, 
prior to last season. I mean, I don't know why we have to go fucking around with this, with these just god-awful uniform combinations that we're seeing here. It's just, it makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. And uh, I know it's they're going for like the Seattle theme, but my God, those like puke green jerseys that the AL had to wear. I, I, I don't know. And can and we then, stop what? with the stop? Can we stop with the black pants? Yes. D- yes, dude. Thank you. I was, I was going on that. Obviously, the National League wore them. If you watched the game, you saw that. However, the Mariners with their City Connect jerseys, I think the jerseys themselves are. I like the jersey. Pretty, yeah, they're pretty good looking. But then just I think it's just because the bill of the cap is black. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There might be a different story. I didn't do the deep dive on what all the meanings behind every single nuance of the Mariners City Connect was. But wouldn't that jersey look so much better with like cream? Yes. Pants? Maybe yes. like maybe like that uh, that same blue that's on the jersey, just one piping stripe down the side. That might yes. work. I think that would be really sleek. That was that's exactly what I what I was going to say. That's a perfect combination right there. You have that jersey with with a cream pant with the stripe on the side right there. Boom, problem solved. I, I mean, I just don't understand why we have to overcomplicate this thing that much. Um, and it's funny, you know, you look at all these different city connecting forms. Remember last year when the Rockies were doing right. like this whole like all green thing? They're not even wearing the green pants anymore. That's how awful those things were. They're just wearing regular yeah. white pants now with those. Yeah. It, once again, the jersey, I think, unique to the city. It's, you know, the area itself. But yeah, like you said, some disastrous choices, uh, especially on the uh, the lower half uh, of those uniforms. But we're talking all-star game here. Uh, bring back teams uh players wearing their individual team uniforms because guess what it's all gonna be white it's all gonna be gray on one side um and you know like you said did it for years and i think the pictures look really cool when they get like team picture out there like some of those old all-star games uh too uh, those are some really good visuals on that um beyond that any anything else that you change i mean i i I, like i said I, i don't think it's fair to a team that wins like 108 games if they're you know not getting home field advantage just because their league lost the midsummer classic but there's got to be something we can i think it's a little more interesting okay some people some people have spewed world versus usa i don't know if that would work that's kind of already world baseball classic gets mm-hmm. that so i don't know if that's the route but i just i just wanted to open it up to you if you had any ideas for the game maybe itself. maybe what they could do is you know, instead of announcing like where the all-star games are going to be several years in advance. So, you know, the, the National League wins this game this year, then nationally gets home field in, in the all-star game next year. So like you have two cities kind of hanging in the balance as far as where the all-star game is going to be the following year. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe something like that. I, I, I don't know that that's going to add a whole lot of juice to it. I don't know that the players are going to approach this the way that they would have, you know, in the sixties, seventies and the eighties. I just don't think at this juncture um, it has that meaning to it. I think, especially with interleague play happening every day um, it's kind of diluted the all-star game a little bit from that sense of it. Um, I mean, there used to be that sense of, na- of national league and American league pride. I mean, each right. individual league had their own uh, league president and and it was a much bigger deal back then. So I'm not sure you can ever really get back to that, but it, like I said, maybe if you, you do something where whatever team ends up winning, they have a city that then gets to host the all-star game then the following year and, and have home field in that all-star game. 
All right. I like it. Good. I, I, I didn't really have any suggestions beyond it. Um, so I just wanted to open it up. I, I think that uh, interesting one there. So um, moving on from one, you know, uh, mile marker in the baseball season to the next trade deadline coming up. White Sox have a number of names that could be on the move. Um, our guy NWI Steve here uh, bandied about it a little bit over at a website known as ontabsportset.com. Steve, fill us in. Who are we talking about? What are we talking destination wise, return wise? Floor is yours. All right. Basically, what it comes down to right now is I think the Sox have two likely pieces to end up getting traded. Both of them are in the starting rotation. Lucas Giolito obviously being the primary candidate and the most talked about one. I think speculation has really started to ramp up here over the course of the last couple of days with the conclusion of the All-Star game and the MLB draft that took place on Sunday. Looking at this thing realistically, Giolito, outside of Marcus Stroman and maybe Blake Snell, if the Padres decide they want to start to try to divest themselves a little bit with how bad their season has gone, Giolito would be either the second or third most appealing starting pitching option out there on the market. So the three teams that I really identified and really honed in on my piece, and, and really if you look at the articles with Giolito and Lynn, all six of the teams that I outlined, have a need for starting pitching. Lucas Giolito fits in all six of, of these teams in particular. But from the White Sox perspective here, because he is their most valuable trade commodity, they really need to try to maximize this return. And so this is where the three teams, the Orioles, the Dodgers, and the Cincinnati Reds, I think are the three primary targets. Because the, those are three of the five top farm systems in the sport um you know obviously you could certainly make a case for the tampa bay rays um be, being in there as well and, and the arizona diamondbacks but you know those three teams i i think have the most glaring needs for giolito given the dodgers and their injury problems that they're having here right now they're not getting a lot of length out of their starting rotation um the orioles just are not getting quality from their starting rotation and the reds um, are not getting quality or length out, out of the starting rotation right there so all three of those teams have glaring needs and lucas giolito is the type of guy that could really change their playoff trajectory especially you think about a team like the orioles right now they are actually a game in front of tampa bay in the loss column now they're only one game back think about this tampa started the year 13 and 0. everybody thought that that al east was done and over with how important is it to win that division, get that first round by so that you can save yourself some bullets during the month of October, especially for a team like the Orioles that haven't made the playoffs since 2016. If you can get a chance to win your division and get that by, that is huge. And Lucas Giolito can be the type of guy that can really push that over the top. And then the piece I wrote today with Lance Lynn, kind of the same thing. And the three teams that I identified most with him, the San Francisco Giants, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Tampa Bay Rays. And unfortunately, Boob Nightingale uh, reported that uh, the Rays have had conversations with the Sox about Lance Lynn. And as I wrote in my piece, the one team I, I would not want the Sox to be trading with the Tampa Bay Rays, because if the Rays want one of your guys, they obviously see something that you don't. And you should be thinking about that. What did they see? that we don't because you know he would go down there they tweak something with a grip 
or with a pitch mix. And then all of a sudden now the home run problem that he's had all year dissipates. That's really been the biggest um, wart on Lance Lynn's season here is his propensity to give up the home run balls. You look at the two teams out in the NL West, the Diamondbacks and the Giants. Both teams right there are in pitcher-friendly parks, are not surrendering home runs at great regularity, well below league average here in 2023 and over the course of the last three seasons. So that's the type of thing that could really help Lance Lynn rebound here for the remaining two months of the season. With the Dodgers now firmly in first place, having a full two-game cushion, the Giants now leapfrogging Arizona into second place, a half game separating those teams right there. you got three and a half games separating these three teams right there. If two of those teams end up getting starting pitching reinforcement right there, that could really alter the final two months of that race out there in the National League West. And it's a good position for the Sox to ultimately be forcing those three teams to have to bid against each other. Yeah, right. Uh, they're all good points there. And I think you gave a good rundown of it. Once again, uh, on tap sportsnet.com, uh, go and check it out there. Um, I, when I was looking through it, Steve, just from a White Sox perspective, I couldn't help but think about Lance Lynn on the Giants. What would that be like? And would they give him the business for all of the, uh, you know, I know Kopech had a big home run game, but they also hammered Lance uh, early on in the season, um, thinking about some of those other places. Um, that To that point, though, I think what you said there is pertinent, um, that the spacious Oracle Park, um, it would give him some relief from uh, the propensity for the home run ball. So um, interesting destinations there. Um, any predictions? I know you kind of just outlined, uh, you know, landing spots and stuff like that. And Any predictions about... Um, where these guys might actually end up when it's all yeah. done. Yeah. If I'm going to make predictions, I actually think the giants match up the best and, and is the most ideal situation for Lance Lynn, just given the, the inconsistency that he has had this year. Um, I would think a team like the diamondbacks and, and, you know, some of the other teams that I've mentioned that have more um, depth within their farm systems would possibly try to shoot higher for maybe a Marcus Stroman or a Blake Snell if if available. Uh, the Giants have a middle-of-the-pack farm system. A lot of it is very pitching-heavy, double uh, A and below, and I think that's probably reasonable from a return standpoint of what we should expect for Lance Lynn. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at that as, as something that makes the most sense. And I do think that the Dodgers – are the most practical for Lucas Giolito. Maybe they can tie a reliever to him, um, you know, maybe Aaron Bummer or or Joe Kelly to try to get some additional money off the books right there. Um, as I talked about in the piece, look, the Dodgers are trying to win their first non-Mickey Mouse World Series in 35 years, and they need pitching reinforcements to do this because their pitching right now is not anywhere close to what has been kind of the standard for this team in this decade plus run that they've been on. Yeah, right. Uh, good points there. And obviously the family, or excuse me, the uh, hometown connection, you'll hear all about that. Yeah. As you uh, highlighted there. So if, from that perspective, I think it'd be funny. Once again, like I said, I enjoy the uh, crapping on those stories that certain uh, media outlets build up. Uh, so I think it'd be hilarious if we went to the Reds instead, um, kind of like a, well, well, yeah. in Ohio, in Ohio. In yeah, Ohio. no, that'd, that'd be great. I mean, I would love it if Giolito went to, uh, went to the Orioles and then the software yeah. maybe to pluck one of the uh, quarter positional bats on 
out of the Orioles instead of with the Dodgers, but we'll see what right. happens. Yeah, uh, just to go back to the Dodgers real quick, though, I did have a question on that. Any chance, I know that they have a couple of catchers high up in there, any chance of landing any of those or would that be too steep? Do you need to do a package to get any, um, you know, I'm just looking at catcher position. It's like right now, Sebi Zavala is the one next year and that's not going to work and i'm sorry carlos perez ain't it either and there's no other real depth within the system so the catcher is going to be a need you need someone to fucking just be behind the plate next year <laughs> yeah no that is that is very important um the dodgers top prospect diego cartaya um you know i think he's you know a top 20 prospect in in the league right now i find it very hard to believe that the Sox would be able to get him uh for two right. months of lucas giolito personally uh they have another guy down in single a dalton rushing uh that is their number three ranked prospect i think maybe him with one of their pitchers that is in AAA right now, maybe a little bit further down their prospect depth chart. I think something like that could potentially be realistic. But again, if you're acquiring a catcher that is in single A right now, I mean, right. you're looking at at least so. a couple of years away, but that wouldn't be a bad thing because as you talked about there, uh, the catching position here is going to be a major, major issue uh, coming here in 2024. And I have a, I have a fear of what I think is going to happen with that. I mean, do we want to go down uh tinfoil hat I mean, line? We, yeah, you can go real quick. I'm thinking it's Sebi Zavala is the opening day number uh, one catcher. My, my greatest offensive yeah, numbers. My greatest fear is that um, given Pedro Gafrol and uh, Chris oh. Gantz and their history with Kansas City. Oh. Sal Perez. Oh, my gosh. That dude, that that's we're in scary hours territory now because uh, Sal Perez. I mean, think about all the smack that we've talked about him over the years as a fan base, as us just here shooting the shit. Um, that that I think that, that would hurt my heart a little bit. Um, I mean, would technically be an answer, but would it be a good answer? Probably not. <laughs> it would be something. You get some pop. I will. I'll give him that. He hits the ball hard, far. Yeah. When he, he connects, yeah, and he's put it. He's put it in that. Uh, I guess on that on that fan deck out in the center field. I mean, that would be cool to see. But at the same time, dealing, <laughs> we got Sal here. That kind of where I'm going with this. How dare you, Steve? Don't speak that into existence. This is almost like what I spoke the, uh, up yeah. you to the Astros thing last September into existence, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although I was tipped <laughs> off on that, but you know. Yeah. No. Dude, yeah, that, that, that's a good tinfoil hat time. That's a that's a spicy one there. So um, it, we'll leave it at that. Uh, the Sox are going to have to figure out catcher, but um, there's still, you know, got to see what, what returns are for guys. And then um, if there would be, I know the free agent crop is not promising uh, in terms of catching market. However, you could always pluck a veteran if you're doing the stopgap bullshit, which is probably pretty low. That's so White Sox. Uh, for, for, yeah, that's so White Sox. All right, a couple other names. Uh, I know you touched on starting pitching in your posts over at ontapsportsnet.com. Once again, go check those out for more on Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, potential landing spots, trade partners with the White Sox. Let's talk a few bullpen names. Um, we had, I think we had an interesting conversation brought up in our chat today. Um, Keenan Middleton, would you trade him off here? Um, I know it's reliever, the only, you know, the expiring contract here, or would you keep him and then look to sign him um, after this? I, I think in this current environment right now with where this team is and where they're heading in their competitive cycle, 
I would move Keenan Middleton, um, especially again, knowing that he is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, if he likes it here, you know, you could always re-sign him and, and bring him back. I know that doesn't happen very often, but I'm generally nine times out of 10 in the camp of you trade the reliever. So um, right. this, it's just so, it's so volatile, man. You right. I mean? From year to year. And, and we've seen, we've seen this look, look at Ronaldo Lopez, yeah. Jimmy um, Lambert. Yeah, yeah, James Lambert. You know, I mean, another guy. I mean, look, I I know some dope at on tap sports that was wrote, writing articles about Ronaldo Lopez being a potential closer candidate. What an idiot! Oh, what a loser! <laughs> a moron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just speaking to that volatility there, that, that was kind of my. You know, obviously there's the expiring contract. Uh, it just a bit there. That's why he's a candidate in the first place. Um, but. I have just this fear that he has been too good to be true this year um, because guys don't just emerge like that and keep it up. That's the thing with relievers. I feel like it's a year to year thing. Shit. We've seen even some dude, look at someone like Craig Kimbrell. I mean, when he came here, everyone thought he was cooked done for And then he's back in the all-star game this year. And you know, that wasn't all of it. It wasn't all of his last bullet. So it can vary year to year, a couple down years from, he wasn't good with the Dodgers either, but shit. Um, and that, that's not the only case uh, like you talked about in Reynaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert there. Um, I just have this feeling that Keenan Milton be the guy. And I will say, I, I think he's a good guy and he, I think he has good mentality and he does seem like he likes being here, likes being part of the white Sox. Um, he's very rah, rah. If you follow him on social media at all. Um, however, He's the type of guy that you'd resign. We've already bandied enough about um, resource allocation to bullpen, right? That was one of the biggest gripes of the offseason spending over the last few years, right? Um, go and sign him. I feel like it's uh, kind of downhill from there, and it could be uh, sort of best innings were eaten up. League adjusts. Um, how are you going to adjust back? Um, I don't know. It, it just gives me a weird feeling going off yeah. feeling on this. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Look, um, to your point about relief pitcher volatility, the only relief pitcher in my lifetime I can remember that you could essentially count on from year to year was a fellow by the name of Mariano Rivera. Right. All the rest of yeah. them from year to year, um, you kind of don't really know what you're going to get. I mean, you have ones that will be still good. You know, you, you think about Craig Kimbrell's run when he was with the Barbs, uh, then, you know, going to the Padres and then the Ginger Sox. I mean, he had a very long run there, um, an extended period of time where he was, you know, a, a top-notch guy, you know, guys like Troy Percival and, and others. I mean, even you think about Bobby Jenks, you know, you think about him coming on the scene in the second half of 05, locking everything down, being the guy to get the most important out in the history of the franchise. And then the following year in 2006, he was very up and down. I, I think he blew, I want, I want to say seven or eight games that season. And you look at, you know, that was, could have potentially been a difference between that team getting back into the postseason um, the following year to defend their championship. And then next year, 2007 on, on a team that went 72 and 90, he set what was at the time a, a record for most consecutive hitters retired. He retired yeah. like 41 hitters in a row at one point. It's just from year to year that that changeover with relievers, you simply don't really know what you're going to get ultimately with most guys. 
Yeah, right. It's crapshoot. We got a few other names to talk about here. I, I want to address this one in the comments here. Uh, Sal says Steve wants to get rid of Code Jelly. That's right, Joe Kelly. Uh, been a while since we heard about him, but uh, he's supposed to come back sometime during this upcoming Mets series uh, that's running midweek here uh, for the White Sox. Um, I think you still need a few more outings to um, establish that, that he is a you know, reliable enough for, for a team that's going to be, you know, I would imagine counting him in some sort of sixth, seventh, you know, eighth inning, somewhere in that stretch uh, of roles uh, for a team that's actually contending and not just playing, you know, uh, playing out the season, going through the motions like we here are on the South side. Um, but yeah, Joe Kelly, Kojelly, what are you, what are your thoughts? You're absolutely right. Look with him uh, expected to come off of the IL Tuesday, uh, when the Sox open up the series in Queens against the Mets. Um, it is definitely going to be imperative for him to string together about three or four quality outings here over the course of about a 10-day period uh, just to show that he is back and fully healthy. I think if that is accomplished, they will certainly be able to uh, get him moved. Teams are always looking for bullpen help at the deadline. That is one thing that you can, I mean, they say, you know, I always say death taxes and teams needing relievers at the deadline. Yep. You, you can yep. always count on that. So if he can go out there and show that he is uh hashtag back and healthy. Yeah. You, you absolutely move him as well. Um, I think, you know, the funny thing is this season has really kind of shown with Keenan Middleton and Gregory Santos it's really exposed a great flaw in the way the White Sox build their roster with going out signing guys like Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, and just allocating all the money to the bullpen that they have over the course of the last couple of seasons. And you look at these are two unheralded guys that were non-roster invites that have really been their two best relievers all season. And that is an approach that this team should be taking more consistently. You know, they should be signing four or five of these guys every single year to these non-roster invites. Look, most of them aren't going to work, but you can find lightning in a bottle enough to where that is how you can build your bullpen. So that's the way you can actually allocate your resources to positional depth. I know that's a new concept in these yeah, parts. We don't do that here. Just a thought. <laughs> Just uh, look, I'm going full tinfoil hat time, not yeah, yeah, we, we're getting off the rails for, for White Sox purposes here. But you, th you talked about the uh, like lightning in a bottle. I think a perfect example of that is Gregory Santos here. Um, I would be more inclined to keep him, though. That's looking at contract status. He's only 23 and is, what, he's just coming up on our beers, I believe. Yep. Um, yep. That was a good pluck. Hey, I, 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 you know, we very rarely um, even have to do this. But I will give credit. That was a good pluck from the Giants, uh, getting Santos Absolutely. because he throws smoke. So um, I also have the fear, once again, we talked about volatility, that there could be some drop-off next year. There could be some adjustment. However, um, I think he's still young enough to where um, you could always you know, bring him back. And then, shit, if he is lighting it up again and you're in a better position next year and want to trade him more, shit, um, even in a more hopeful uh, you know, sort of train of thought, if you somehow do get yourselves right, um, I'd – don't think that's going to happen uh, over one off season here, but if you were to retool correctly and do it, then he's a big piece of that bullpen going forward. So I'd be more inclined to keep him, uh, I guess, more age is kind of uh, in contract status, the determining factor for me. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's going to be on the league minimum or just entering uh, the arbitration phase there. So he's going to be very cost effective for this team. 
And you think about some of the contracts on some of these positional guys, like Yohan Mankana is going to make $24 yeah, oh million dollars next season. Yeah. Uh, I think Elo is going to make $18 million next year to, you know, be tweaking his grind <laughs> pretty regularly. So uh, you got to find some cost efficiency wherever you can. Yeah, right. Uh, I agree with that. Um, last one here I want to get to, uh, Kendall Graveman, the de facto closer with uh, Liam Hendricks obviously being out to start the year and then, um, you know, only brief stint back, back on the IL now. But Kendall Graveman's done his job and he's done it well. I know the peripherals aren't, uh, you know, perfect, but, um, hey, some guys are just able to do it and get outs and he's been reliable so say what you want about his contract uh it's finally coming to an end here so that that puts him in a position to move but i'll give him props for most part he's done his job when called upon so uh, yeah he's he's been fine i mean he can be frustrating at times because he nibbles a little too much um we we talk about this through text all the time that you know he'll go out there he'll get a guy oh two and the next thing you know it's three two Right, right away, right. and um, it, it gets very annoying. But for a team that is not going to contend, they don't need a closer setup man making $10 million. Yeah, right. They just don't. Yep, I agree. So, uh, so if, you can, if, you can, if you can move them, absolutely. Yeah, right. I'm on that same uh, train of thought there. Um, we'll see what happens. Trade deadline coming up. That's August 1st. Uh, stay tuned on tipsportsnet.com. Uh, we'll have a lot more uh, on those developments as they roll through. All right, Steve, I kind of want to open it up here for the last, uh, you know, a uh, little bit here. We're, we're getting close to closing Sunday, fun day down. Um, but I, I just had a like an epiphany, and this season will ultimately go down as a tragedy. We all know that. It's kind of been that way since the losing streak in April. We all knew it. Um, but instead of viewing it like that, I know in the long run, that, that's how it will be viewed. On the day-to-day grind of this, you got to treat it as a comedy. And you got to find, you know, like before, I, I would just, instead of getting like really pissed off when they let up a lead in a ridiculous way and fashion the only White Sox can, finding new ways to lose games, uh, so to say, I stopped going to anger and I just went to laughter. And that made things a lot better. I don't know about you. I think that's an approach that I, I'm going to have to try to take here over the course of these remaining two and a half months that we've got left in this season. Um, the anger and rage phase of, of the season is still well within me. Um, I don't know if that's just... I think it's always going to come out, but you got to try and find your moments. Like, you know, when uh, when we're booting the ball around against the A's and shit like that, like th- that's just like where I, you know, it's sad, it's pathetic, but at the same time, just laugh. It's like, how bad can they be? You know, melt down, find new ways to lose games. That's really literally what they do. I mean, you know, look, for me being, being uh, you know, being a, being a ski, anger and rage is an emotion that I know very well. It, it's in fact probably my, my greatest emotion. Serenity now! <laughs> Thank you, Sal. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you this know, is a tragedy. It's a farce. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know what they say now? Serenity now. Insanity later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, I, I got another one on, on the comedy aspect here. Uh, our guy, Matt, it's comedic how people think the series means they have a shot. What are you talking about? We're hashtag back, so back. Come on, that was the best team in baseball. It's about the transitive property. We're the best team, in baseball. I, I, it, it, we are a better second half team than the Braves. It's how funny. I, I had to stop over at, <laughs> uh, at, at my parents' house earlier today, and uh, my, my dad, you know, in, in classic fashion goes, you know, they won two out of three games against the best team in, in the league, so therefore, that means the Sox are now the best team in the league, right? I go, right, well, yeah, you know, those are rules. That's how it works. That's how it works. I mean, I mean it, it checks out. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it, I, on this front. I just like had a couple of notes that I was jotting down of these instances. And it's like, you're shocked when they actually do play with some hashtag fire, passion, grit, TWTW. It's like, where the fuck was this all season? That's where I getting back into the rage, the insanity that you talked about. But um, it's, it's like, I'm looking at like, you know, um, I, I remember last year, Jay Kuda made the uh, the video of all the um, bloopers of the White Sox season. So to say a bunch of errors, uh, I think it was kicked off with Gavin Sheets bobbling the ball in that massive meltdown against Cleveland back last May. Um, and there were just a number of other ones uh, in that. Um, I wonder if he's going to do it again, because um, th- that's kind of comedic content that I'm going to need to stomach uh, the rest of this thing as we ride it out here. You know, that will definitely help us get through this. And I, and I think our buddy Sal here made one other very astute point that will help us get through this. When he said, all he wants yeah. is to beat the shit out of the Twins. I think that is a sentiment that everybody within White Sox Nation can get behind. Everybody, and I mean everybody, knows how I feel about those shit bags from Canada South. Yeah, that'll be coming up this weekend. Obviously the little three game trip uh, up to, uh, you know, playing the Mets uh, in the big apple there um, and then going to Minnesota. So I think we're going to have to break out the uh, Kirby Puckett uh, statue picture, Steve. I think that's uh, in line for those are the rules. I didn't write them. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I just want to beat the shit out of the twins too, um, because while we should, uh, should have be on top of this division. I mean, uh, we we know that, and it's pathetic that they aren't, especially at the state of it, uh, how bad everybody is in it. Um, hey, the only thing we can do now is beat them when we play head-to-head. So I think that's a driving force here for the second half. Um, how how else are we getting through second half? A lot of booze. Well, that's pretty standard. Um, you know, I enjoy the uh fire passion grit twtw that zach remillard brings to the lard dude i just on him what a like we he became a joke uh in terms of us just seeing him all the time in spring training games. so it was like cactus league legend you know triple a legend charlotte knights legend zach remillard but hey major kudos to that dude we're making the most of it when he gets shot. I know you uh, wrote about him too. Um, Zach Remillard, uh, 29 year old rookie, but Hey, uh, that's, that is a, we'll say that is a reason for me to watch and tune in. Cause I want to see that guy do well. You know, he, he's one of those guys that is kind of a testament in perseverance. He's 29 years old. Um, finally getting his chance here. You know, he was drafted out of Coastal Carolina in 2016, a team that won the national title when he was playing down in uh, Myrtle Beach. Um, you know, the the site of other baseball legends like Kenny Powers, you know, when he played for the yeah. Myrtle Beach <laughs> Merman. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, for somebody that toils in the minor leagues for that long, it's so easy to just give up and, and say, you know what, I, I tried. You know, I got drafted. I, I got as far as I could, and and he stuck with it. And look, his time in the major leagues might be coming to an end very shortly. Nobody knows. I mean, the average you know time frame that guys spend in the majors just isn't particularly long, especially for somebody with his age that was in the minor leagues for the length of time that he spent in it. So. Go out there and enjoy it, savor it. I mean, these are literally going to be the best times of your life. You're going to be—he's going to be able to look back on this 
someday and tell his kids and his grandkids, yeah, I, I made it to the major leagues. You know, I wasn't a star by by any means, but I got there and I had a couple of memorable moments in there. And that's something that I know I would kill to be able to have. Um, and I, I feel like most people watching and, and listening to this would be in that same boat. So you just got to really tip your cap to him. And, and it is kind of a, a fun story to see as long as it continues. I'm loving all these comments here. Matt says, Zach Romillard for Shohei. Why not? Sign me up. Who says no? I don't know. Um, and then he's the veggie burger boy. And then Sal chimes in. Is he our Max Muncy? There you go. There's your next column, Steve. You found it there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, that, that could be the cop right there. Who knows? Yeah. All right. We are winding down here on Sunday Funday. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I've got three last thoughts, Steve. One will start White Sox specific and that going down to the minor leagues, the farm. Um, Noah Schultz. Um, hey, there's some nasty stuff coming out, uh, videos that he was throwing down. Uh, it was the um, Kannapolis there um, where, he, where he's throwing. Yeah. And I enjoyed it thoroughly because he had, what, some swords. He had the one where he was uh, making the guy, you know, turn away and the slider dropped back over the plate. That's good to see from uh, the White Sox first round draft pick from last year. Um, but while I was watching those, this is how White Sox we've gotten, Steve. Enjoy them all you can because it's only a matter of time until the White Sox player development curse gets to him and sets in and he's, you know, um, the shit. Who, who was it that uh, flamed out? Um, Alec Hansen? Yeah, Alec it's, Hansen. Only, it's, it's, it's only time. It'll only matter time until he's the left-handed version of that. I, re I remember, I think it was in 2017, Alec Hansen led all of minor league pitchers in strikeouts. Um, when he was with Winston-Salem, then got a, a brief cup of coffee with Birmingham at the end of the season. And then he was just never the same after that, man. That oh, we're, getting, we're, going, we're going in the ball, oh. Jonathan Stever. I also saw that Tyler Danish was released. Yeah, I saw that role. too, so, yeah. Hey, Reclamation Project, baby. Yeah, old friend. Yeah, get get the <sighs> Hey, for the lack of pitch, after we trade off Lynn and Giolito, I mean, what we're looking at, Cease and – Kopech, who might just walk every single guy under the sun next year. We're going to need, need some arms. So get, get the whole band back together. You know, all of these guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris gets ruins White Sox players more than his side. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. We're getting, hey, this is, this is Sunday funny. We're getting off the rails here. I love it, though. I love it. Um, I don't know where we go from there. <laughs> I've got, I, I said that was one on the Noah Schultz. Um, number two thought going more general MLB. When I was watching highlights from around the league and even the game against Braves, um, when you get a close up view of a home run that's barely going over the wall, I'm sorry, but I need the yellow line on every part of every wall at the top, even if it's like a brick fixture. I know like, you know, like the A's have like out in Anaheim, they have like that tall, you know, wall where, and then there's just like an ad above it. But if it goes over that little spot, it's a home run. They might know that on the ground rules and that's fine. They're still able to determine that, but from viewing at home, or if I just have it on the background and mute, I want to be able to see the ball go over that line. So I don't care like where you are. You can have cool fixtures and brick walls and whatever the fuck it is. Well, let's get a yellow line across everywhere that, that's that's what i need no, maybe i'm that. maybe fuck, it's just fuck. my problem but I, I mean i mean i mean i i get your sentiment but i mean in the year of our lord 2023 we shouldn't have brick walls um you know in the field of play anymore that's just my perspective on it yeah right well i had that and then hey 
MLB, we've uh, ragged on the product that they put out and their efforts and marketing and all that kind of stuff. But what I do need to get, it's usually all bad. And there's usually nothing good to say about Rob Manfred and how everything's run. One thing that I have really been enjoying lately, though, is MLB Big Inning. And um, go on MLB TV and it shows up four games there. That's great because it all comes in one video feed. So if you're doing like a bunch of shit, you don't have to load up four different feeds. To like put it there. You can do that grid view. But when they do it, it's like the MLB's version of Red Zone. And I thoroughly enjoy it. So that has been a nice feature with minor little golf clap for MLB for instituting that this year. That's yeah. My last thought. Yeah. No, I, um, I recently uh, utilized that for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And, and to your point there, that is uh, definitely pretty solid. You know, I, I, I enjoy that as, as something that typically has, you know, a, a laptop with four games going on at once. And then my two TVs set up, um, you know, to be able to have those four games going on on a TV right there. I mean, that's that's pretty nice. Right. It, it, it's nice because there are definitely moments that I would miss because I would pick my preferred matchups, whether it's on a secondary team that I'm just interested in or watching a specific player for his at bats, you know, by Shohei Otani, whoever it is, um, you know, to see how far if Giancarlo Stanton can hit it into the mountains at uh, out in Coors Field, shit like that. There's some things that I would miss in other games, great diving catches or whatever, and you wouldn't be able to catch up on it until you watch the quick pitch later. But it's cool to see some of that shit live. So I just wanted to shout out MLB beginning. I feel like that it was kind of slow to for me to get into, but now that I'm into it, when I'm like feel like I'm find myself checking the schedule every day. Cause if you go on like the MLB TV, they have a little tab for it and it tells you when it's gonna start and when it's gonna end every day. I wish they'd run it a little bit longer uh, so you can catch the end of some of those later games, but I understand they're, they're getting the majority uh, when most of the games will be on there so that was my final thought here you got anything no that's uh that's definitely a a good one (laughs) i'm I'm a pro mlb guy (laughs) that's exactly what i said you got me uh sal sal is just uh he's rolling in the comments tonight yeah (laughs) um you know as, as i mean final final thoughts here look um you know, kind of circling back to some of our, our talk about the All-Star game and everything. I mean, I've always felt that the Major League Baseball All-Star game is the one All-Star game that is worth still watching because it is the one that most closely resembles an actual game. All the other ones, right. Not there's no fucking de- flag football. Right. You know, there, there's no defense, you know, played in any of the rest of them for, you know, a variety of different reasons and everything. So um, I have always enjoyed, you know, watching the All-Star game. And one of the things that I always enjoy is, you know, watching the, the player intros and, you know, seeing the guys on, on the Sox get introduced and uh, going down the line there. So, um, yeah, I, I do continue to always enjoy the All-Star game. And thinking about this here, you know, 10 years from now, 2033, if I'm still around, that'll be the 100th anniversary of the first All-Star game that took place at Old Comiskey Park. Mm. Now, Rob Manfred is up for re-election for commissioner. One thing that this shithead needs to do, he's got to do the right thing, and he's got to make sure that in 2033, the All-Star game comes back to the corner of 35th and Shields for the 100th anniversary. All right. I like it. I like it, Steve. I think that's a good uh, moment to close out on as we are hashtag back from break here. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Socks on Tap Sunday Funday. We had a great session in the YouTube comments here. Thanks to everybody who jumped in. Make sure you're subscribed on Tap Sportsnet on YouTube so you don't miss a show and you can join the conversation in the future. 
Also like on Facebook, and you can drop comments in there. Uh, unfortunately, can't see them from Twitter, so go to those two if you want the comments up on the screen here. Uh, other than that, go give us a follow on social media, at SoxOnTap and at OnTapSportsNet. And check out OnTapSportsNet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Steve, that'll do it. Until next time, White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>